0: Hi, hope you're all well. I'm Viv and I'm the face behind Skin Farmer Aesthetics in stockton on tees Tonight I am continuing um, our journey myself and Dr. Sonny Desi's journey, looking at how we've used ultrasound in our aesthetics work. Hi Sonny. And tonight we're lucky to have another guest with us um, based in the States. Hi Stella, <laughs> right on time. I will just add Sunny. I'll see where Sunny is.
1: Uh... Hi Sonny. Hi, hi, babe. How are you? Fine, fine. How are you doing? Happy good, I'm good. good I've week. Looked, I've just looked at my hair in the in the camera, and the, the humidity is not doing. My hair's not doing well with the humidity. Um, uh, That's the only benefit I've got of not having the hair to worry about. I don't want to say anything. I don't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> But uh,
0: tonight uh, we're we're lucky to um, have another practitioner from uh, tonight from the states, um, Dr. Stella Desiatnikova, and she's a facial plastic surgeon based in Seattle, and we're very proud and lucky to have her speaking to us. So I'm just going to invite her. I'll just see where she is, Um, and we're looking again at how ultrasound can be used in aesthetics work, and. Stella is um, a really nice practitioner. She's um, she's done lots of t- different types of work involving ultrasound. She's done research, training, practice. Hi, Stella.
2: Hi, guys. How Hi, are you? Hi, Stella.
0: Hi. Hi. Ah, nice to see you. How how are you doing over there in Seattle today?
2: We're doing great. I'll really look... nice
1: to. It's
2: dark on my screen, but can you guys see me? Okay.
1: yeah yeah that's fine and and an amazing Um, blue sky background there as well
2: uh that's my backyard
1: (laughs) (laughs) great backyard
0: you've got stella we've got lots of practitioners from all over the world joining us tonight so i've got to thank you all the way from seattle um we as as we mentioned you you are quite a famous individual in relation to facial ultrasound work uh, because of all the research the training you provide and the practice you carry out as well so i thought it'd be interesting to speak to you um look at your background find out about your work find out about how ultrasound is Become incorporated in your work, and also to look at examples of the types of work that you carry out. and I've got some scans that I can show in a bit, um, but I'll let Sunny start off, and he can talk to you a little bit about your background, if that's okay, Stella.
2: Sure, of course.
1: Hi, Stella. I mean, listen. I think you're very much the, the, the star of uh, this sort of. Um... Can we call it a show yet, Viv? Probably is a show. We do it every week. Um, Thank you, Shannon. That you've joined us. So we have a lot of, we have a mixture. I think we have a lot of practitioners joining us. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the questions that they will have is, how did your aesthetics journey start? And what do you do in your aesthetics practice? Uh, Broad questions, but over to you
2: sure yeah of course so uh i'm a facial plastic surgeon double board certified and head and neck surgery and facial plastic surgery Uh, and i've been doing this since um 2002 when i finished my residency and fellowship so i've had my facial plastic surgery practice for a long time and kind of early on i adopted a lot of uh, injectables into my practice so it's always been a bigger part of my practice Uh, And because of my uh, obviously facial plastic surgery background, I was always kind of doing more complicated cases, doing the uh, kind of helping other people treat complications, all the complications from injectables that we had forever. So then when I kind of got a little bit of a whiff of the ultrasound and uh, the potential for treating the complications, I researched that and just kind of chose to bring it early on into my practice. Uh, you know, Of course, at that time, I myself didn't realize quite the extent of what had been done with ultrasound, so my kind of original thought was to bring it on, and in case anybody has issues with blindness, or God forbid me, with non-surgical rhinoplasty or forehead, because I do a lot of the non-surgical rhinoplasty too, I figured I can find the vessels quickly and hopefully inject them with hyaluronidase. That was kind of general you know, impetus. Because, kind of into bringing
1: ultrasound into my practice so for us in the UK ultrasound is is quite I mean it's it's an existing modality for those of us who are healthcare professionals we we know ultrasound is used extensively everywhere but in aesthetics it's still very new um I mean we I was going to ask you questions about your course a little bit later on um it's on your link tree which is brilliant and we're going to ask those but we'll just flag that for a second but You obviously come from a very specialist background. So, can you give us an example of a case that, you know, what was that first case that you remember where you really were like, oh my God, I'm so thankful that I've developed my skill level with ultrasound? Do you you have one to mind that comes to mind?
2: So, uh, partially, you know, when I started, I started with Claris and then I started doing the um, non surgical rhinoplasty with Claris. So just being able to see, even with Claris and find some vessels. So I was kind of getting increasingly grateful for having that. And then of course, I started uh, doing the vascular occlusion cases and did that. Uh, the first couple was Leone Cole Leonie. Um So that one was, I think, really, really just kind of, it's amazing what it can do, because then just seeing that blood flow return and kind of seeing it clinically, that was really, really just kind of amazing.
1: Brilliant. Um, did you, you yourself, did you ever do any specific ultrasound training when you started out? Or did you just go, just go for it and learn on the job?
2: Uh, so that's kind of an interesting question. So, you know, so even now, there's not a lot of training available. Yeah. Everybody is trying to develop training. And unfortunately, a lot of people who have no idea what they're doing starting the ultrasound courses, at least in the States, probably in other countries too. So when I started, uh, there was really nothing, nothing much and even uh, it was kind of hard to even figure out what the ultrasound anatomy of the normal tissues look like. So um, I just kind of, I tried to look and then research, tried to read any literature that I could find and even all the literature that you could find is still kind of limited, right? You still don't know what you're looking at. So, uh, but yeah, just kind of little by little. So basically I taught myself, uh, just because I really just kind of wanted to uh, research, first of all, what this can do and uh, hopefully develop more. And again, at that point, really had no idea where this would take me or even the potential for what ultrasound can do for us. Yeah. and by myself and then eventually Joan was Leoni and was teaching classes with her as well.
1: Good, good. Uh, Viv, I know you've got you've probably got loads of questions to ask as well, but I've got one more. So obviously at the heart of everything we do is the patients that we see, the the concerns they come in with. When you what was your view of your patients? I mean as a plastic surgeon, obviously they come to you as a specialist anyways and then obviously it's facial aesthetics. But when you introduced ultrasound, what was the what was the feedback from your patients when you started using it? Was it something that they they appreciated, or
2: so you know the patients always love it, and I must say, probably in the beginning, I didn't know a lot of times what I was looking at. Yeah, um, and you know I was trying, I was trying to scan my family and my assistants and myself, but it probably took me several months to figure out what nasal cartilages look like. Okay. You know, when you look at several layers, they're all black and white and gray. And I'm like, I don't know which one is the cartilage looking at. I went through all the literature. I couldn't find anything. Um, so uh, after that, you know, I eventually just kind of you look more and then you know more. And patients always appreciate it. They appreciate that you're taking the time to make the procedure safer and better for them. Uh, and I think now a lot of patients know about ultrasound. So a lot of patients actually request it. But even at that time, patients just seemed really, really grateful that me taking the time, learning about it, trying to make it safer for them. Uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it was just kind of fun for them too. They want to see it. They want to see what the inside of the face looks like.
1: No, definitely. And 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 we found that as well. Viv, what have you found when you're showing? What's the kind of feedback that you get? The
0: patients love to see exactly what I'm seeing. I can base my um, my answers to their questions on evidence and they can see the evidence plainly and clearly there's no there's no hiding of information it's completely transparent and it gives um it gives more security to both myself and the patient understanding why a treatment needs to be carried out in a certain way in 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 my experience it's only a benefit it hasn't given me any disadvantages at all
1: definitely i'd agree uh what another question for me for more sort of um patient focused um we so viv and i have discussed this at length so we're, we're we've been doing this for a few months now we've kind of got a kind of protocol and i'm sure this is part of your training as well um stella but how how long do you spend actually uh, i mean we do vascular mapping that's what i are trying to get at so we, we kind of do the vascular mapping first and we talk the patient through it how long do you spend now as part of your consultation or part of your treatment process when you do it because i think a lot of practitioners who are new to ultrasound are possibly reluctant or they're worried that they're gonna take ages and obviously time, uh, well, money is time, time is money in clinic. Um, we are a business at the end of the day and we wanna be safe. So how long do you spend now when you're ultrasound? Are you very fast? Or do you still take your time, 10 minutes, 30 minutes?
2: So, you know, it's a good question and that kind of really depends. Um, I now incorporated ultrasound as part of my consultation even for patients that come for surgery. Yeah. It gives me a lot of information about the internal anatomy. For example, if I want to do, if they come for buccal fat removal and then I can look and I can see that there's actually not a lot of buccal fat. So all the fat is superficial fat. So it's really helpful to kind of prevent the surgery that will not be very fruitful for me or for them. Um, for my injection patients, I can kind of take a look and see what they have before um, and just kind of guiding my treatment for uh, a lot of patients you know if i'm doing a high risk area i can just look 10 seconds see where that vessel is uh, and that can help me help the patients uh for some patients who come for basic consult for all the filler it can take an hour looking filler. for all the that they can they had in their face for the past you know 10-15 years several syringes a year it's in every plane in every spot, and then you just kind of see like what happens. So it's, yeah, the answer is really depends. But I think for people who just initially bring the ultrasound, most people want to initially just bring it to, um, increase their safety, right?
0: Yeah. So yeah.
2: don't vascular occlusion. That's really, that's kind of the best initial, initial application. That's what I teach at my courses too. This is what you're gonna use it for. Hopefully not a lot of people will have the vascular occlusion or other complications. And this will really help you to prevent it. So um, once you get just kind of a little bit of proficiency, maybe not the first couple of weeks, but once you get a little proficiency, I would say you can probably just spend a minute. Spend a minute. You found the angular artery, or you found the artery here, and the, and that is just helpful for you.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure the clinicians watching who are interested in ultrasound will definitely appreciate that answer. Viv, I've hogged uh, the questions. Stella, so I know (laughs) know you're dying. I can see in your eyes. I've got so many questions to ask Stella. Go for Um, it, go for it. it One
0: one of the things um, that I was watching just uh, earlier this week was a CMAC live recording that you took part in earlier this week, Stella. Really great discussion with yourself and lots of practitioners from around the world, specialists, looking at hyaluronidase and using um, hyalase for dissolution purposes and how you use it, what you use the technicalities of the process, the pros and cons, et cetera. You went through everything. And it was really a great chat that you had with these other specialists. Um, you're all involved in lots of work using ultrasound, all of you who were within CMAC, all the practitioners in the discussion. Um, but what I was wanting to ask you really was um, about the fact that in the CMAC information, it mentioned that you were the first physician in the States to reverse a vascular occlusion, dermal filler based, using ultrasound, is that correct?
2: Uh, possibly, I don't really know. Honestly, right. somebody might have done it before me. Uh, I guess mine was just kind of the first that was known. And then, you know, they right. only helped me with that. The colleague, they helped me with that. Um, so as far as I know, I was the first, but it's possible that somebody must have done it before
0: yeah it's just on Mac it's mentioned that you're the first so they may have done a little bit of research to find that information out but um with training Sonia was going to ask you a little bit about your training um do you, you'll be working with Leone as well now um carrying out training in different areas what what do you think of um the the training that you do with Leone I, I I think you really love the fact that you both work together in that aspect
2: yeah well, obviously, you know, I love Leonie. I love working with her. She's amazing. Um, we did several courses together virtual, uh, live in Costa Rica and Seattle. Uh, she's going to come again later this year to Seattle, do another course. I do some courses without her, um, which are a little bit different. Uh, I always learn so much from Leonie, you know, just from listening to her. You really just kind of, you can learn from everyone, but you know, somebody, who had so much experience and practice and insight into everything that she does? It's really.
0: She's actually watching. She's saying she's uh, she's watching uh, this chat, so she's enjoying what you're talking about, there, Stella. Um, so hi hi hi, Leone, for watching. <laughs> Um, in, in terms of in terms of the um, research you're doing, there's a paper published, I think, just in May, a few months back. Um, treatment of filler related vascular occlusion using handheld portable ultrasound devices. Is that that's a research paper that you produced recently? Did Did you enjoy writing that? Was it a lot of work for you?
2: Uh, it was not a huge amount of work. It's kind of it's a shorter paper, but it was nice. So really, uh, obviously, I did not invent this whole thing that was invented before me, Uh, Mm -hmm. and I talked to Leonie, so uh, a lot of cases are from her practice and some from my practice, just using portable devices. And I thought that was important to uh, write it up specifically about using portable devices because that's kind of what a lot of people want to do, bringing portable Mm -hmm. devices into their practice, uh, Mm -hmm. specifically to treat vascular occlusions. And the question is how good is a portable device compared to the real kind of uh, either tower ultrasound or even kind of like the bigger point of care devices and whether or not that can be helpful. So that's why I wanted to write that up.
0: And you use a whole range of devices, like from the small Plarius that we use, the L20HD, all the way up to a whole lot more expensive, larger equipment. And in your experience, there is quite a big difference between using a smaller device to a more expensive device. I suppose it depends on what you're using it for and what you're wanting from it.
2: Sure. So is it still about the paper or just in general in my practice?
0: Generally, generally about devices. Of course.
2: Yeah. So generally, you know, of course, kind of the bigger and better the device, the better uh, quality of the picture you get. Different results and different frequency, different penetration. So uh, I mostly use bigger device for my practice now. Uh, yeah. It's still not the kind of the top of the line. It's still considered the point of care, uh, just kind of portable tower, uh, but it gives me a lot better quality of the imaging. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah.
2: So I don't use a lot of Claris now, or the portable devices, but I do use them a lot in our courses.
0: Yeah. And what do you enjoy about the courses when you see new practitioners come face to face with their first scan and they figure out what they're looking at? What How does that make you feel?
2: Oh, I think it feels amazing. It just kind of, for me, just rekindled my teaching passion. I used to do kind of more teaching when I was in medical school and residency. Uh, and kind of doing occasional training with injectables, but not a lot, but then when you see um, doctors nurses pas and then they just they struggle for a little bit, and then you just kind of see that aha moment and just suddenly they realize that uh, it 's really just kind of quite amazing and I'm, you know i 'm so happy people take the time to learn and obviously advance their practice and who care about their patient safety and their safety. yeah, I love it, yeah. it patient safety has always been a big Uh, Impetus
0: for my practice as well. Yeah, I thought it'd be interesting just have a look at some of the uh, posts you've got on your Instagram page, Stella, just to show some of the examples of ultrasound use in practice um, that can be used by practitioners in their aesthetics work. So I've got a few of them. This one involves nasal treatment. It's one of the nasal Stein injections you carried out on a patient, and you looked at the. you looked at the aspiration um, in the nasal spine injection. It's got, it's, it's, if you, if viewers don't like injections into the nose, keep don't watch this particular scan because it's got a cellar injecting a nasal area. So I'll get this up. So this is an injection you carried out for a patient um, just to demonstrate the need for aspiration. You know, it's a sensible thing to do when you're injecting the nasal area. And you basically... Sure just how important it still is despite using ultrasound it's still an important area to concentrate on you can't be guaranteeing safety just because you're using ultrasound what well, what do you think
2: yeah absolutely so the thing with that is you know even for my patient i say that nothing is 100% safe
0: yeah
2: aspiration is obviously not 100% safe i think it's very important to understand the limitations of that but it's also important to understand the limitations of ultrasound that, you know, I'm not going to discuss all of them now. So people ask me whether or not I aspirate, and of course, people want to hear. It. I say, yes, I do. And sometimes I aspirate after I use the ultrasound. For example, in this patient, I looked. I know that their vessels are right where I'm
0: yeah.
2: needle. Tip. And a
0: lot of that. people
2: cannot be exactly sure where my needle tip or cannula tip is. I'm doing this directly ultrasound guided. So, yeah. yeah. So the vessels there, you know, maybe my needle tip will end up in the vessel and that, that aspiration again. very cognizant of the technique of aspiration itself and the limitations. Uh, but for me, I aspirate sometimes ultrasound in occasional spots. Yeah.
0: You, another, another injection, piriform fossa, using um, nose-to-mouth line treatments, done very often in, in by practitioners all over the world. But the safety aspects aren't always considered properly um, until you come across a problem, unfortunately. Um, This scan is one you did of the piriform fossa. I'll just get it up. There we go. It's basically showing you using a needle to guide filler treatment into the area just adjacent to the nostril, on one side of the face, I think. Um, In terms of safety, is that something you tend to use a lot now using uh, guided injection for areas like, um, like the piriform fossa? So uh,
2: sometimes it's patient guided. So um, I tend to remember if this patient asked me or uh, to use it uh, ultrasound guided, or if I just didn't like what I saw, you know, when I kind of did my yeah. and then uh, I just do it ultrasound guided. So then yeah. I vessels and I can see the tip of my cannula needle and I can see the filler. The most important uh, thing actually to see is to see the filler going in the tissue and you can see that it's filling the tissue and then that just kind of helps you as well.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned um, to me um, about the fact that you have a paper, research paper coming out about um, temple filler treatment, and you've got some information about carrying out the treatment using ultrasound as well. I've got I've got one of the scans. You very kindly let me augment for you using CGI. I think you you love the fact that it can be done. I'll get this I... up, uh, Stella. Be one second.
1: Viv, Viv, this is great. I know I always say it to you jokingly, but this is, uh, he loves showing off this, but it is a great thing, Matt, you know, assessing and then putting CGI to it.
2: They are really awesome, yeah.
0: So that's your original scan stuff. You can talk about it if you like.
2: Yeah, so I think this is an a ultrasound-guided temple injection. Show. It shows the cross-section, and uh, you can just kind of see the filler, which is a dark, uh, coming out of the cannula and filling that plane between the two facial planes. And you can see how much better you can see it now when uh, Viv will superimpose the colors on it and how much easier it is for um, practitioners to learn, if they want to learn what it is, to learn the anatomy and understand. And also just kind of for people just to see what it can do, it's so much easier when you actually put those colors on. So a lot of people actually ask, they're like, can you just add the colors to this? (laughs)
0: It's just something that I came across totally by accident, purely following a Halloween video I did with Leonie and Tom Van Eyck last year. I thought, you know what, if I can do this with computer graphics, why don't I use it on ultrasound scans? And that's how it all came about. well, look at also assessing and treating complications, Leo um, Stella. Um, I know Leone does a lot of work. Tom Descartes does a lot of research work as well involving um, filler issues, filler problems. You come across lots of different complications with fillers, I, I guess, every day or most days that you're working. Um, this, this is a treatment that you carried out, guided under eye filler treatment. I'll just get it up, Stella. Dissolving under eye filler. So you're basically using a cannula, I think, to dissolve filler with high alveuronidase. I
2: think that was a needle. I think that's 27 gauge needle just really matter.
0: Ah. So this yeah.
2: was a bit of extra filler under the eyes. So it's, yeah. uh, we all know those patients that just kind of start getting too puffy under the eyes. Not a yeah. lot of malar edema, no nodules, no complications. And this just helped to really just be very targeted and dissolve that a little bit of filler and just restore this, uh, basically just normal contour of the cheek and the eye.
1: I think one of the questions, if I if I may, Viv, as there is um, tear trough filler is a particularly obviously it's it's one that when you get a good result, practitioners get a good result, they love it. Um, but we're always concerned; everyone's always concerned about the anxiety of getting bad results. And recently, obviously, because it's been a it's been a common technique or common treatment over the past few years just as you've described in your um, or just you've shown in your Instagram feed, problems and uh, complications are occurring or even side effects. It's, an, it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string. But on average, in terms of the effects of filler there, just like the one that we saw there, how often are people coming back? I mean, what's the longest that you've seen in between treatment and then the kind of side effect or the unwanted side effect of someone coming back in terms is it months, years on average? How, how many times are people uh. coming back?
2: Really hard to do the um, average Uh, but you know sometimes I see my patients who maybe I did it 10 years ago maybe it was for a while so sometimes even longer maybe it was fine for a while and then I see them they're coming in and I just say you know it just looks too puffy now. can I just dissolve it I know they haven't gone anywhere else but sometimes it just kind of really just tends to puff up a little bit later maybe as filler can just kind of get gradually degraded, especially in this area, forming a smaller chains, smaller J chains that kind of maybe attract more water, but for whatever reason it is.
1: That's exactly, um, the, that's exactly the answer I wanted to hear because that smaller H A chains, that it's obviously, it's not gonna go anywhere. It's difficult to reabsorb, but I mean, the, the people watching are gonna love that answer. So thank okay. you, thank you for that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and again, depends on the filler. You know, at some point in the, pa- in the past, I did use a little bit of Juvederm around the eyes I try to always kind of be very, very conservative, never do too much. Uh, And sometimes, you know, what happens in our body too, you know, all those filler planes or filler cavities that we inject, they they tend to connect. So sometimes they had a little bit under the eyes and then I see they kind of get a bunch of filler in the cheeks over the years. It's either just kind of that connects through the intercellular matrix or whatever it is, or maybe it's too close. And now all that filler so there is just kind of gets connected to the under eye and then it just kind of all this like puffiness and extra stuff happens.
1: With the, with the, I mean, can you, do you, I mean, it's a difficult question again, or, um, but I'm sure you've given an answer for it. Even with the long length of time, like the 10 years and you saw the puffiness, just if you wouldn't mind just describing what you would see, because I guess you wouldn't really see the filler per se, but just in your own words, how would you describe what you see Um, in terms of small ha chains on that kind of ultrasound image i know it's what, what would you expect to see i think is the question that i wanted to ask
2: yeah so a lot of times you know like you said a lot of times you don't see the filler especially you know in the tear trough itself well maybe it was such a tiny amount put in 10 years ago 15 years ago uh but you just see the tissue uh there's just a little bit of puffiness. And now I'm not talking about inflammatory. Inflammatory changes, they look different obviously. Now we just feel extra puffiness. Uh, I feel that the tissue is just a little bit uh, darker or hypoechoic, which means it just can absorb all that water. And that's all the layers of the tissue, including the layers where you didn't inject. But I think that's just kind of overall, the, the water absorption just kind of tends to happen and spread through the tissue. So like even the dermis or surrounding structures. Uh, around the eye, you kind of, obviously, you guys probably know that uh, hopefully we don't get it behind the orbital septum. Yeah. So the swelling usually, you know, if you were not there, I think the swelling does not go through the orbital septum. It's a pretty dense layer of the tissue. Uh, but it's pretty easy to go through that orbital septum, even with a cannula, and just kind of create additional problems with it.
1: Amazing. Thank you. That's an awesome answer. Viv? Yeah, no, there was just a couple of other um, scans that you did,
0: uh, Leone. One of them was actually um... Stella, Stella.
1: This is Stella. You've all... Viv, it's Stella. Sorry, <laughs> the... I keep. I, ex- I've got to apologise. I keep
0: confu- I can't. I can't help but call you Leone sometimes, Stella. So apologies for that. I'll call <laughs>
1: you. You got. You got to take as a compliment, right, Stella? Yeah, think of it as a
0: compliment, Stella.
1: <laughs> although, although this will make you laugh, Good guys. Wishes. Um, my social media manager's watching as well, and she said, "At long last, a pretty face." So Stella. That's from my social media manager to you.
2: Oh, thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this this one's um an, an, a vascularity uh, appearance, a vascularity under uh, under a delayed onset nodule under the eye stellar. Um, nodule from high acid. And you can see the blood flow, the increased vascularity around the nodule. And that's something um Usain can show, and you've seen this appear. Um, many times, and you've documented it, you've, you've talked about it in different, in different um, lives, I think. Is this something that, that's common? It, it does appear, the increased vascularity around nodules, delayed nodules.
2: Uh, around the nodules, but that's actually in the nodule itself. So that's whole big blob that you see on that, that's whole kind of like darker hypo mm-hmm. blob. That's the inflammatory nodule. Yeah, so for you, you know, there's you can see it sitting above the bone. Uh, yes. Right in the tear trough, it's actually in the lateral tear trough, uh, lateral infraorbital, not really tear trough area. So uh, what we see was inflammatory nodules, that there's uh, tissue through that, and that's a tissue that's inflamed when you see that increased vascularity, as opposed to when people just have a blob of filler that's causing puffiness or maybe uh, kind of bad cosmetic results. Then you just see a blob of filler, then just, there's no vessels through it.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. Um, last one. It's just a guided dissolution of under eye filler. Um, let's have a look. This one's, oops, sorry, let me just get that door back up. So, there we go. Guided um, filler nodule dissolution. So I think um, you're using high to target the area with ultrasound. You're very carefully injecting into the Area accurately, and it basically shows um, that you're doing it very carefully using probably far less high L than you would otherwise.
2: So, what was this uh, actually that the ones you show? This was a nodule.
0: Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah.
2: Well, that's the patient who came to Seattle from uh, a different area. So, a lot of times I see those patients for several. Usually I wouldn't, but for her, she had a big inflammatory nodule. So, that's that we saw the next day, so she still had some residual. And then if you measure it, if you look on ultrasound, that the size of that little residual nodule is actually two millimeters, so it's, it's tiny. Uh, yeah. But using ultrasound, I, I was able to put the, uh, I think that's a 27 gauge needle. I like to use a 27 long gauge needle um, to uh, kind of tar- uh, dissolve the uh, nodule in a targeted mm-hmm. fashion.
0: With, uh, with nodules um, where there's biofilm perhaps, do you find it easier to use a sharp needle to actually get the hyaluronidase in the right place compared to a cannula? I think you were talking about this in the CMAP yeah. information.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure about the nodules, but the inflammatory nodules, they tend to become very hard. So if you, just, if you try to put the cannula in it, you cannot. They basically they are as hard as, I like to compare to injecting a rubber tire. So if anyone who has ever tried to put the canalog in the um, keloid scars, or steroids injection in the keloid scars, they know that it's, you can get the needle in, but then it's very, very hard to inject because there's so much resistance. So that's the same thing that can happen with those inflammatory nodules. Uh, You cannot put the cannula in, but you might be able to put the needle in, but then it's very, very hard to inject. i just kind of gradually do that. And then obviously the next day it becomes a lot easier. Uh, but yeah, the uh, inflammatory nodules can be just very, very um, basically hard to physically get the needle in and hard to inject.
1: Yeah. I have a, is- we had a question actually, Viv, sorry. Um, two questions in regards to just just that sort of similar case. Um, obviously we use uh, hyalinex or hyaluronidase to dissolve, help dissolve nodules. The first question that someone had was, do you ever use steroids alongside with difficult nodules? Do you ever inject steroids into a nodule or inflammatory nodule?
2: I really try to avoid injecting steroids, uh, partially because of the um, tissue atrophy that it can create. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Around so most of the time, uh, I think it's probably been years since I injected steroids in the inflammatory nodules.
1: And that's because that. the the atrophy no that's and that led on that led on to the second question for you so which was um one of the cases um which you probably move for your feed is where a patient came in and they well they, they had a lot of fill and they wanted it dissolving and you described in detail about that several sessions were required again it's really difficult, isn't it? Because no one really publishes this kind of literature out there. How, lo- what was the time delay in between each session? Did you do leave it a week? Do you leave it four weeks? I mean, seven sessions is a lot, but how? How? what was the length of time overall? Yeah. And how long yeah. in between?
2: Yeah, so, you know, it's a great question. And again, the answer is, it depends. The answer most of the time depends just because still, you know, we're compiling all the data on that, right? So partially depends on how much filler they have that they will dissolver dissolve or that needs to be dissolved. And if they had 20 syringes of filler, they will need a lot, a lot of dissolving. You're partially limited how much uh, hyaluronidase you can put in because if you do inject a lot, it can become inflammatory, not even necessarily the allergic reaction, but it can become red and swollen and inflammatory. Uh, also, you know, if they fly to me from a different country or from across the country from the US, I do want to try to do as much as possible and just kind of maximize their visit. So sometimes I will see them do as much as I can, save the time the next day, Sometimes the next day. Uh, normally in my practice, you know, say they're local, I would do as much as all and see them back in a week or two, do some more, uh, and then just kind of depends. But one thing I just kind of want to caution people that they think that with ultrasound, sometimes you can just use very little Hylinex, which can be true if they have a little bit of filler, but if the full face is full of filler, it doesn't matter ultrasound or not, it can help you a little bit and do it in a more targeted fashion, but you will still have a lot of Hyalinex.
1: That's amazing, amazing. Viv, you had a question.
0: It, it, it was really,
1: we've talked about the
0: past, the present. I thought really, we look at the future um, in terms of the use of ultrasound in facial aesthetics work, uh, Stella. What would you like to see? What would you like to see in the future of ultrasound use and aesthetics in an ideal world? What would be the use of ultrasound? Where would you like to see it?
2: So I think, you know, I want to see it. I think it will really just kind of like spread partially because it's so helpful for education and learning the anatomy and partially just because once people try it and then they get that they can actually see what they're doing during the treatment it's very hard to go back and not ultrasound so uh what i would like to see and what i think will happen partially the technology will get better so you know devices will get better they will be cheaper uh they will be a lot more accessible they're pretty accessible now uh the resolution will be better uh and i really think it will be you know everybody's using cannulas now for example kind of that's that people didn't want to do in the past. I think it will be the same thing.
1: Um, so, so I had on that note, we was Viv and I always like to ask the controversial things. So uh, you mentioned right at the beginning, you know, everyone has got an ultrasound course and you know what, Viv had to stop me, you know, he had to pretty much hold me down uh, before I started, you know, my own ultrasound course, having, you know, held an ultrasound for two weeks, but thanks Viv, you know, you can you <laughs> help me back on that one. Maybe in a couple of years, eh? But um, on, on, not, to more on a more serious note for those people watching who have got ultrasound who are thinking of signing to a course obviously you run a, a very good course uh, i haven't done it yet and i was living you know hopefully one day we can um what should a practitioner expect from let's say their first ultrasound course what, what should it look like for them
0: ah
2: oh, that's a really good question Uh, And it's hard just because, you know, there is no standardization. For regular ultrasound and medicine, there is standardization. For example, in the U.S., there is American Institute of Ultrasound Medicine, and there are very rigid standards for using ultrasound in practice, for teaching ultrasound and doing the courses. For our ultrasound and aesthetic medicine, it's basically, it's a free-for-all, right? Anybody can do it. So a lot of people who have maybe any kind of like social media following for something else, they would suddenly start teaching ultrasound and uh, maybe they had it two days more than the person who never used ultrasound. So the person who never used it, they will come to the course and they're like, well, it looks like they know what they're talking about. Um, so uh, I th- I, think, I think it's difficult. you know I talked about in the past with Leonie, I talked about with Steve Weiner, who may not be on this one. Uh, you know, we, we're not gonna go around and police it, right? We, we cannot police it. There's no, enough. It.
1: Yeah, for for it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, in terms of the practitioners who just want to learn, uh, I, I think it's hard. I'm not quite sure exactly what's there. I see some of them and it's kind of horrifying when even they put their like little trailers or preview videos or, you know, the history that, you know, they only did like one course with somebody else a week ago, and then a week or month later, they do their own course. So um, it's kind of a little bit the same as with patients who come to our clinic. How can the patient know that they will end up in a good clinic with a good aesthetic practitioner, right? So uh, doing some kind of a, a internet research, I think is helpful for, for whatever. I don't like to call that a research, but trying to just kind of get some information about the practitioner, whether or not uh, how much work they do. I think for most people kind of like doing the research presentation, uh, teaching courses that are successful that have been successful for other people. I think that's probably helpful, basically reviews. Wow. Yeah, yeah,
1: awesome it's answer. awesome
2: at this point. And um oh,
1: just before you end just before you end i'm just going to do a quick uh squeeze down the um comments that we've got um just so to say hi obviously um kayla aesthetics northern ireland as uh, always uh, joins us and well address marian thank you for joining us as well um lots and lots of people we did have one comment from uh, my hair jay doe joined and they and they said that you know i think that from a personal point of view a, as a Patient, they said that you know they've asked uh, practitioners about using ultrasound and they get cold response, um, but obviously uh, not from anyone <laughs> from from uh, present company excluded. Um, and I think thank you so much for everyone for joining, um, Viv. Yeah,
0: no, I just wanted to say a really big thank you, um,
1: Stella, and apologies for calling you Leonie,
0: but she's going to be <laughs> smiling now in Amsterdam. Love it when when is your next course with leone when when will that be and where will it be
2: so uh my next course is in september that's uh my own course and then my next course with leone is in october uh right. they, they'll, they'll be a little bit different format so i think it will be different to compare because i think we're both kind of you know the more we do it we also just evolve and just kind of incorporate the feedback from uh our participants and try to make it better. You know, always try to make it better, make it easier yeah. for people to learn.
0: Are you going to be at the CMAC conference in London in November, um, Stella? Uh, I,
2: mm, I might not be able to make it.
0: Oh, it's a shame. It's a, hopefully we'll meet up at some point uh, in the future.
2: Okay, I'll, I'll try. I will try. Yeah. You've
1: got to try. You've got to
0: try. You'll try. Be nice to see As I said, a lot of the practitioners that myself and Sunny have spoken to in our lives are likely to be at CMAG presenting um, information about ultrasound use in aesthetics. So it would be nice to see you, but um, if, if you're not there... We'll hopefully meet up in face-to-face at some point in the future. So I think Sonia and I, we both really wanted to thank you um, just for uh, taking part and giving all your generous information and advice to everyone watching tonight. And thanks to everyone for watching. Hope uh, hope they've all enjoyed uh, this live that we've done. Um, uh, Steve Harris, who's organising CMAC conference, he's going to try and arrange rearrange the date for uh, you, together. Okay. All how right. kind, how I- kind of is <laughs> he?
2: I think I'm being guilted into coming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um, next week, we've got Dr. Jake Sloan from Sydney in Australia. And he's also the co-host of Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Um, so he'll join, he'll be joining us next Sunday at 11am, purely because of the time difference in Sydney, um, but that's it, I hope uh, hope you enjoyed, I hope you've um, had a chance to um, say just what you think about using ultrasound in practice, uh, Stella.
2: So good to see you guys, and thank you so much for having me.
1: Stella, would you come oh. again, would you join us again, put you on the spot now.
2: Yeah, anytime.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sort out a live in the future.
2: Say
0: that again. We'll sort out another live in the future with you, uh, Stella.
2: Your time So lovely
0: to talk to you both. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, thank Thanks you. a lot. So we'll see thank everyone you. again. No problem. Thanks very much, Sunny. And we'll see. Um, we'll see everyone again next Sunday, 11 a.m. And we'll be talking to Jake Sloan. Thanks very much. Bye. 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 Thank you.